Chapter 16 The extension of Ananke's arms through the entire universe is like the vastness of Nut Hathor's cosmic body. In one of the numerous late Orphic cosmogonies, the golden chain derived from an allegorical interpretation of the Iliad illustrates the divine unity of the cosmos. Zeus himself suffuses all things and makes them one. As a short but impressive verse of the Orphic theological hymn testifies, One Zeus, one Hades, one Helios, one Dionysus. Damascius cites Linus, the mythical singer and hierophant, presumed to be the son of the muse Urania, and Pythagoras for the doctrine that everything is one. The lament of Linus's poem, as it is quoted by Stobios, runs as follows. This quote from The Orphic Poems by M. L. West, page 253. So through discord, all things are steered through all. From the whole are all things. All things from a whole. All things are one. Each part of all, all in one. For from a single whole all these things came, and from them in due time will one return. That's ever one and many. Often the same will be again. No end will limit them, ever limited. For so undying death invests all things. All dies that's mortal. But the substrate was and is immortal ever, fashioned thus, yet with strange images and varied form will change and vanish from the sight of all. Some Orphic theological narratives and holy oracles of night provide a mythical prototype for the philosophical vision of Parmenides and Empedocles. But Plato is scarcely concerned to do justice to Orpheus and other ancient theologians such as Musaios and Epimenides, who derive everything from night. Since the ultimate limit is akin to limitless transcendence, the darkness of the Orphic night and the primeval ocean of the Heliopolitan Theogony are symbolic descriptions of what is supranoetic, ineffable, formless and unstructured, out of which the light-like noetic structure appears as the archetypal triad of Atum, Shu and Tefnut. According to Egyptian traditional accounts, the world emerges from a primeval darkness, Keku Semau, and a primeval flood, Nun. In sum, the monotheism of the Egyptians consists in the belief that in the beginning the divine was one, and that in the cosmogony that was, that was the work of the one, the one became many. It seems that Plato, as the dialectician of the one and the many, is just taking what he wants from Orpheus, in certain limited Egyptian sources. Although Plato's dependence on the knight's prophets and Farnese's quote-unquote logicians is deliberately concealed, Plato's main philosophical doctrine is based on that of Parmenides, and Parmenides himself, in fact, depends on the Orphic myth. Even more, Parmenides, as a priest involved in the service of Apollo, and also the entire Velian school of philosophy, which is Quote, plainly rooted in mysticism, 
It is rooted in fact in Parmenides' own chariot experience, which leads to the great goddess's epiphany, end quote. That quote from Carl Levinson's Socrates Among the Corabantes, Being, Reality and the Gods, from 1999, page 69. The chariot journey may be a literary and telestic topos, of course, but this kind of metaphysical ascent, anagoge, is therefore the powerful symbol of a real dialectical alchemy, and serves as a paradigm of the divine revelation genre. Therefore it comes as no surprise that Parmenides' description of being, capital B, as one and continuous, is analogous to the Orphic theological myth, according to which the entire universe is united in the body of Zeus, the only one, in the sense of the Theban Amun, the invisible solitary one who manifests millions of visible embodiments by his breath of life. Likewise, Empedocles has his poetic, prophetic and theological precursor in Parmenides, the Skywalker whose chariot journey takes him into the house of night. This Nuktos Oikia is the ineffable darkness from which Farnes emerges as a chariot-driving sun, flying on its noetic wings. At the same time, it is the oracular sanctum, because Farnes himself bestowed the power of prophecy upon the primeval night. However, capital N, Night, remains a source of wisdom and knowledge for all the universal rulers who follow her in the genealogical chain of Theogony. In fact, this mythology of succession and violence is crowned by the episode in which Zeus swallows Farnes, the totality of the Noetic archetypes, and thereby becomes the beginning, middle and end of all. This myth is turned into the philosophic basis for a monistic account of the genesis and governance of the world. In this particular context, Titanic means manifold, according to Velvet Yates, because it is precisely the Titans, as the principle of separation, who are made responsible for the world of plurality, for creating the many from the one. Yates writes, and this quote is from the Titanic Origin of Humans, the Melian Nymphs and Zagreus, in Greek, Roman and Byzantine Studies, 2004, page 191. On the cosmic level, the devouring of Dionysus's limbs by the Titans represents the generation of the material many from the immaterial one. Proclus equates the division of Dionysus's body into seven parts by the Titans, with the Timaeus's division of the world soul into seven parts. At the human level, the Zagreus myth explains the fragmented nature of human thought. The Titans can also represent the forces of separation and fragmentation on the level of the individual soul. This fragmentation and the subsequent forgetfulness only increase as the cosmic cycle evolves. Similarly, in Egypt, Atom, as the undifferentiated one in the transcendent darkness of Nun, comes into being by himself, Keper Jesef, and is turned, while essentially remaining the same, first into the triad, then into the Aeneid. 
In this way, the Egyptian scribes, like the later Neoplatonic dialecticians, unfolded a series of entities, at once numbers, symbols, and iconographically fixed figures, that illustrates the unfolding of the paradigmatic structure of reality, conceived in the form of the decad, from its ultimate source in the one. According to the Pythagorean manual produced in the school of Iamblichus, quoting the theology of arithmetic on the mystical, mathematical, and cosmological symbolism of the first ten numbers attributed to Iamblichus by Robin Waterfield, 1988, page 107. Both Orpheus and Pythagoras made a particular point of describing the Aeneid as, quote, pertaining to the Curetes, end quote, on the grounds that the rites sacred to the Curetes are tripartite, with three rites in each part, or as Cori. Both of these titles are appropriate to the triad, and the Aeneid contains the triad three times. The number nine thus expresses the paradigmatic, all-encompassing and still noetic totality. Put otherwise, the one still belongs to the realm of the ineffable, supranoetic transcendence. But the goddess Nith, Naeth, Neith? equated by the Platonists to Athena, the mistress of philosophy, calls the world of manifestation, Kheperu, into being, quote, through seven statements, which in a later magic text become the sevenfold laugh of the creator god, end quote. That's a quote from Eric Hornung's Idea into Image, page 44. Mankind originated from Atom Ra's tears in a temporary blurring of Atom's vision, though the period of the Golden Age is still regarded as the solar kingdom of Ra, where gods and humans inhabit the stage of the extended sacred mound of Heliopolis together. During this blessed time, Pa'alt, before the human revolt against Ra, the divine Mart, truth, perfect, harmonious order, reigns.